Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each time we come together with our At Home in Your Hymnal program, we want to take some time and look at a specific feature of Lutheran worship, the theology and practice of Lutheran worship, helping people to be at home in their hymnal, in the corporate setting of the divine service or one of the other prayer offices in the church to be at home or comfortable with your hymnal at home with your family or for individual devotions. For the last uh, many, many weeks, we've been working our way through the divine service. We've been looking specifically at divine service one, page 151 and following in Lutheran service book, but much of what we've talked about applies to all five of the divine services that are in our hymnal. For the last several weeks, we've been looking at the theology and practice of the Lord's Supper, the importance of the words of institution, the placing of the Lord's Prayer, a proper reception of the Lord's Supper, an attitude of reverence that flows from the faith that God has given us, all of these wonderful things flowing from the words of institution, the verba. And this is this is episode 33, so you can go to our archives and check out those other episodes, and I think uh, it's in some of the um, some of the best stuff that we've done with At Home in Your Hymnal, especially with many of the practical questions that people have surrounding the distribution and reception of the Lord's Supper. Pastor, as we, uh, as we pick up today with episode 33, I want, to, uh, I want to pose a situation or a scenario to you. The uh, child of God has come to the communion rail. The congregation is singing. The pastor distributes the bread, the wine, the very body and blood of Jesus in, with, and under bread and wine for forgiveness, life, and salvation for us Christians to eat and drink. The child of God has received the Lord's Supper. They've been blessed or dismissed at the altar, and now they are going back to the pew. That's the scenario. That's the situation. If you could, Pastor, talk a little bit about what a person is to do now that they have received Christ's very body and blood and they are on their way back to the pew. Um, yeah, okay. Um, there's no law or rule that says, here's what you need to do now, but instead we still have our Christian freedom, which has uh, governed much of what we've done within the divine service. Uh, and in that Christian freedom, the question is, um, why are you there? right? What's going on? You've now received Christ's body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Um, why are you there now? And the answer is that faith still has a response that uh, comes forth, and that can show itself in, in several different ways. Uh, first off, you can continue to sing the hymns that are a part of the liturgy. Uh, you can uh, continue to worship God, if you will, uh, Forgive my uh, English use of that word. We're still in the worship service itself. Um, and 
you can also go back and give thanks to God for all the blessings that he's given to you. And so those are kind of the things that I'd say are the basics. And to help you with these things, we also have in our hymnal, uh, in the front cover of your bulletin, uh, it's not actually a page number, but it's just in the front cover, there are a number of prayers that you can use for worship. Uh, And there's one that is after uh, receiving the sacrament, thanksgiving for receiving the sacrament, you can go back and pray that prayer. Now, these prayers are written out, and they're not ex corde, they're not from your heart, but what these do is they help teach you how to pray and what things you might talk to God about uh, in these particular situations. So before communion, there's a prayer. After communion, there's a prayer. Uh, You're not required to do these prayers or even to say them word for word, but they help to train us uh, for how to do how to pray to God in this particular situation. Pastor, would you pray that prayer that is in the front cover of our hymnal, the prayer that is designated as thanksgiving after receiving the sacrament? Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, I thank and praise you for feeding me the life-giving body and blood of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Send your Holy Spirit that having with my mouth received the holy sacrament, I may by faith obtain and eternally enjoy your divine grace, the forgiveness of sins, unity with Christ, and life eternal. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. That is a, that is a magnificent prayer. And Pastor, uh, I can't think of a better way to sum up in a small paragraph prayer like that. I can't think of a better way to sum up everything that we've talked about over the last several weeks with regard to the importance of this precious gift that God has given us. No, it, it does a very nice job, and it uh, kind of covers all the things that you might want to talk to God about after receiving this, and it does so in a succinct and easy-to-learn-and-pray sort of way, uh, which then also, the, the handy thing about it being succinct is it leaves you time to still sing the hymns uh, that are usually being sung during the distribution as well, remembering that hymns are, are not there... Um, just to keep us occupied, but rather they are a part of the preaching of God's Word, the distribution of God's Word. And so we still have the opportunity to sing the faith, uh, to receive the Holy Spirit through God's Word uh, in singing these hymns of the distribution also. So it allows both things to happen together. Well said, well said. I uh, We've been working our way through a uh, little Bible study guide booklet, The Divine Service, Its History and Theology, by the Reverend John Fromm III, and that's uh, a wonderful, wonderful little study. And for this part of the service, uh, uh, Pastor Fromm has written, It is also customary among Lutherans to return to one's pew and pray after receiving the body and blood of Christ. In many places, Lutherans will kneel or stand at the pew before sitting and returning to the singing of the distribution hymns. Our hymnal provides prayers for communicants after they have received the Blessed Sacrament. And one of those prayers is the the very prayer that Pastor Morlene just prayed for us. And uh, then there's a quote from the the book Lutheran uh, Worship, History, and Practice, and it says, Personal prayer at communion is most appropriate, but the earliest sacramentaries contain no particular prayers. In fact, the sacramentaries characteristically end their treatment of the Mass at the Agnus Dei. 
apparently with the understanding that the service will be concluded as quickly as possible after that. That's the quote. So there's no long-standing tradition of, of particular prayers at this point. And then Pastor Fromm goes on to say, generally speaking, Personal prayers after communion should be of a character of gratitude for the gift just received and of seeing the Lord's continued blessing and help to remain steadfast in faith and a life of repentance from henceforth in love toward and toward God and one's neighbor as well as within the fellowship of the church. The singing of communion distribution hymns brings further reverence and joy to the celebration as the gifts being given are extolled and Christ is praised as the merciful and generous Savior who comes to us in his body and blood with divine forgiveness in the fellowship of the saints in heaven and on earth. I think Pastor Fromm sums up this part of the service very, very well. Uh, Pastor, I don't know if it's been your experience. You've got over a decade now being pastor. Um, I don't know if it's your experience, but Sometimes I have witnessed people, after they receive Christ's body and blood in the sacrament, they leave. They go home. They don't stay for the rest of the service. Um, first of all, have you noticed or witnessed that? And if you have, <laughs> what would you say to those uh, who are contemplating, okay, the highlight of the service is done now, I'm going home. What would you say to those to encourage them to stay for the rest of the service. Yeah, uh, I have witnessed that, and what I would say is uh, it is all an issue of the third commandment and the Christian living uh, a life in that third commandment, having received the forgiveness of Christ. It's not that we're earning forgiveness, but because we've been saved, uh, how does a Christian act? And the Christian, forgiven of his sins, rejoices in God's word. And the third commandment says, um, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching or his word, but gladly hear and learn it. Um, that's what's happening then when we sing these hymns. If we understand that the hymns are not actually just a time filler or something like that, but they actually are God's Word, we should want to be there and hear them. If we understand that the blessing at the end of the service, the benediction, is actually God's Word, we should want to be there and to hear that and receive that. If we understand that the hymn we sing after the benediction is God's Word, we should want to be there and hear that and receive that. Uh, and then we also have to consider that that church is not just there being there to receive God's gifts, but we're also there for the service to our neighbors and the people around us. And so if we head out the door without having the opportunity to find out what other people are dealing with or struggles in their life or even just being able to smile and uh, say hello to them, then we are not acting as the body of Christ also. And so all these things are what we need to consider. Obviously, we cannot make a law that says one way or the other that you have to stay or not, uh, but we should tell you that um, proper Christian reverence, um, the, the Christian will stay to do these things. You, uh, you hit on everything that I was thinking about. I can't, I can't uh, emphasize that enough. You, uh, you are robbing yourself of the Word of God when, uh, when you leave early. You are robbing your brothers and sisters in Christ of the opportunity for that extended Christian fellowship and for the opportunity to love, care, nurture, visit, fellowship with other Christians. And uh, there's a uh, not a long 
portion of the service that's left, but very, very important parts in the service that are still coming. And one of the things that we're going to be talking about when we come back from our break is the post-communion canticle. Divine Service 1 has two options, but the standard or the uh, uh, traditional one is the Nunc Dimittis. So if you have your Bibles handy, get it out to Luke chapter 2. When we come back, we're going to look at the Song of Simeon, the Nunc Dimittis. Don't change that dial. At home in your hymnal. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're looking at Divine Service Setting 1. We're looking at the post-communion part of our liturgy. And if you're following following along in our hymnal, we are on page 165 in Lutheran Service Book, LSB. We want to take a look at the Nunc Dementis, which is Latin for now depart. And before I have uh, Pastor Moline read Luke 2, 25 to 35, the section of scripture where the Nunc Dimittis is drawn from, and it's pretty much a paraphrase of the very words of God, I want to share these words from uh, Pastor Fromm's book, uh, the Bible study that we're talking about. He says, the song of Simeon, the Nunc Dimittis, originally comes into liturgical usage in the evening services of the church, Vespers and Compline. It expresses the faithfulness of the Lord in keeping his promises of salvation in Christ and our confidence to depart, that is, to die, in peace in this joyful fulfillment. In the evening services, it is a response to the hearing of the word and taken into the divine service of the Lutheran Church it becomes a response both to the Lord coming to us in his word as well as the Holy Supper. In Lutheran service book, the Nuc Dimittis is also spoken at the end of the funeral service as a summary of the Christian life. It, also gives, it is also given in the pastoral care companion as a song for those about to depart this life, sort of a Lutheran last rites, or in comfort for those who mourn the loss of the recently departed. Martin Luther advises that a Christian ought to mindfully go to the Lord's Supper as though he were going to his death, so that he may go into his death as though he were going to the Lord's Supper. Luther reflects this thought also in his paraphrase hymn on the Nuctaminus, In peace and joy I now depart. Pastor, before before we read Luke 2, uh, Pastor Fromm has 
brought together a lot of stuff here. He's talked about the early tradition of the singing of the Nuctaminus in the evening services, the services before you close your eyes and sleep, how it's brought into the divine service right after the reception of the Lord's Supper, and also the part the Nuctaminus plays in the funeral service and as uh, pastors go and visit people on their deathbed, uh, pastoral care. Thoughts on on any of those topics that uh, Pastor Fromm brought out before us? Yeah, um, I think that's something that's important for us to remember. This is a prayer uh, for what the Christian life looks like, and that is that we're always ready to leave this world and enter into the world promised to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. We never know if that will be today or 30 years from now. We don't know how it will happen or when, um, but as Christians, we're always ready for that, knowing that we are in God's hands and nothing can take us out of those hands. I would uh, also say, uh, you know, Pastor Fromm said this is spoken at the end of funeral services. We can sing it uh, with those familiar words and tune uh, any of those times and places at the deathbed, at the end of a funeral, uh, as well as at the end of communion. And all this understanding of this departing being... Um, related to death comes out of the words of Luke chapter 2 that we are soon to hear. The uh, situation here with with regard to the impact and the import of these words at this particular point in the service reminds me of a, a situation. I was a sophomore in high school, and we were on our way to uh, play an American Legion baseball game. And one of my friends uh, just happened to go to the Catholic school, the, the hometown West Point. The only time the kids who went to the public school and the Catholic school got together was in the summer when we played baseball together. And we were riding in the car, and he was talking about the fact that he had just gone to a concert the night before. And he looked at the group of us in the car, and he said, I got to see Linda Ronstadt in person. Now I can die. And I thought that was kind of a curious thing to say because uh, Linda Ronstadt was not that particularly well-known, but for him, that was a big deal. That was was a, it when the Eagles were her backup band? I, it could be. Could yeah, be. Maybe that's why. This, <laughs> this would have been in the early to mid-'70s, 73, 74, oh, right So in they there. were already broke off then. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but when he said that, I immediately thought of church because this is exactly what we are singing, isn't it, Pastor? I have just tasted the very body and blood of Jesus. God has put forgiveness in my mouth and is now pumping through my veins in the very body and blood of Christ crucified and risen for me. I can die now. Yep. I have seen the Lord. Isn't that really what we're talking about? It is exactly what we're saying about, and I like the way you say it. It's almost like we're at the ice cream store and we've been given the taste, and now we want the whole thing. Um, and that's exactly what we're saying. We want to be in heaven to partake in all the gifts that God gives, uh, not in this world through a glass dimly seen or um, you know uh, veiled by this sinful world still, but in its complete and total fullness without any end and without any separation from God that results from the sin here. A, the Nuctaminus is oftentimes referred to as the Song of Simeon. Pastor, would you want to share Luke 2, 
25 to 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Uh, keep going? Keep go- Till 35. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So, Pastor, here we have the context of how this song is sung and why it is sung. Uh, In verse 26 of Luke 2, it had been revealed to him, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit. And we don't know exactly how, but we know that uh, God's word is true. The Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then the first line of the uh, hymn, the song of Simeon, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. This is a song about death, isn't it? It is, uh, and Simeon saying now that he's seen the Savior and the salvation, the fulfillment of the promise that has been given all the way back to Adam, now he can die and have certainty and trust in God's promises. I'm pretty sure he had that before, but now he's seen the complete fulfillment of it. Uh, And interestingly, and this is church tradition, so you can do whatever you want to with it, um, the church tradition is is that Simeon actually had been um, one of the writers of the Septuagint, Uh, which meant he had been well over a hundred years old. The Eastern Orthodox Church says um, that he he might have been up to 200 years old at the time he met Jesus in the the temple here, and all that's tradition, of course, so you can do whatever you want to with it. But it's kind of a neat idea to think that uh, he had been waiting and waiting and waiting to see this Savior as promised to him by God, and now he's had its fulfillment, so he's ready to go and depart in peace. That's what us Christians always ought to be, no matter how old we are, ready to depart in peace to be with the Lord. Now, Pastor, I want to play the devil's advocate here just a little bit. Simeon had this direct uh, message, revelation from the Holy Spirit, that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ, until he saw the Messiah. And he sees the Messiah. God makes a promise. God keeps his promises. That's the nature of God. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared uh, in the presence of all peoples. How is Simeon's song my song or the song of every Christian or the song of every Christian who has just received the Lord's Supper? Because we have not had that direct revelation in the same way that Simeon did. We have not seen the infant baby in the exact same way that Simeon did. How is his song my song? Right. Well, um, maybe you haven't been in Simeon's shoes exactly, but you have been in the sense that um, 
the Holy Spirit reveals this message to us wherever God's Word is. God and uh, the Holy Spirit is always attached to the Word. Um, and so when you read God's Word, everything points ahead to Christ. Uh, additionally, when you've gone to the Lord's Supper, you've come into physical contact with Jesus. You've eaten and drank him. Uh, and so you are, in the same sense, fulfilling uh, that th- same thing that Simeon had. Maybe not uh, in a baby, but now instead in bread and wine. And so the same thing that's happened to him has happened to you as well. Promises made, promises fulfilled in and through the Lord Jesus Christ as always. As we bring this segment to a conclusion, we want to listen to the Nunc Dominus Lutheran Service Book, page 165. That was the Nuke Diminis from Lutheran Service Book, Setting 1, page 165. We need to take a break. This is at home in your hymnal. When we come back from our break, we're going to take a look at the other option for the post-communion canticle, Thank the Lord. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. This week's church service is more than hymns and a sermon. Get a more in-depth study of this week's message with Pastor Poppy and Pastor Moline on Proclaiming the One. Tune in Sundays at 12 p.m., Wednesdays at 11 a.m., Fridays at 11 a.m. and again at 6 p.m., and Saturdays at 10 a.m. For past episodes on demand, go to thecross957.org backslash Proclaiming the One. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We're taking a look during this episode 33 at the post-communion canticle in our uh, first 
part of this particular episode, we looked at uh, a reverence, a posture, and some ideas for what happens after you receive the Lord's Supper. In uh, segment two, we looked specifically at the post-communion canticle, the Nunc Dementis, page 165 in Lutheran Service Book. There is a new option, and this option has been in the Lutheran liturgy since about the late 1970s, if I remember right. Uh, and it is Thank the Lord, and it has become very, very popular. It's a very festive tune. We heard it as we came back from our break, the uh, post-communion canticle on page 164, and Pastor Fromm has this to say about Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord is from a psalm of thanksgiving and a praise that celebrates the placement of the Ark of the Covenant into the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. This is a celebration of God's holy presence and accessibility to his people in a specific place. There is a clear parallel, then, in the celebration of the Lord's Supper of Christ's body and blood given to us. This particular setting of the canticle includes an Alleluia, so it is not sung during the season of Lent or during Holy Week. Pastor, um, your thoughts on, just in general... Thank the Lord as a post-communion canticle. Well, in the sense of uh, understanding what the Lord's Supper is and even the way that it was referred to in many uh, ages and times as the Eucharist, I think it fits well because uh, God is giving his gifts and the appropriate response as a Christian is to give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, and to tell uh, all the great things that he gives to us uh, in his gifts. And so in that sense, it is kind of a nice way to summarize what's um, going on in the Lord's Supper, much as the same way the Nuketimidus does. Um, I, I think it can be misunderstood and misused and uh, misapplied, but I think it is a, a good thing for us to consider as well. What would be a way, let me just pick your brain there a little bit, what would be a way that it would be uh, misused or misapplied? Well, I, I think uh, in modern evangelicalism, this idea of thanking God oftentimes is understood as a good work that we do that was making God happy. And so that's what I meant with that, that it's not something we're doing to make God happy or to earn forgiveness or anything like that. It, it is a response completely and totally. And so long as we understand it that way, uh, it is a good song for us to sing. And that's a, go ahead. That's not where I thought you were going to go. Uh, I really thought you were going to go with uh, since the oh, late 70s, 1980s, early 1990s, the uh, proliferation of church growth mania on uh, all of Christendom, especially coming from evangelical and Reformed churches that has kind of forced its way into other denominations like the Lutheran Church, has basically said, you're not a Christian unless you are evangelizing. You're not a Christian unless you are telling people about Jesus. And uh, to make something into a law, as you have said repeatedly throughout this program, uh, always gets, our, gets us in trouble. A faith response to the receiving of Christ's body and blood is thanksgiving. A faith response to the receiving of Christ's body and blood is to share our faith, tell everyone what he has done. It is a natural, dare I say, spontaneous attitude that is a part of the Christian life. 
And so this particular post-communicantical, thank the Lord, has that mission evangelism kind of a feel or thrust, and it's God's word, and that is a good and proper thrust, but sometimes we kind of club people over the head with it, and that's where I thought you were going to go. Uh, am I am I looking at this wrong, Pastor? No, I, I think it's kind of the same thing, just in a different way and a different part about it. We always have to understand worship as we do the entire divine service is that God gives his gifts and we respond, and worship is always within that bound. It's never we go to God and then he responds. It's always the other way around. And that informs everything we do in divine service. That informs our prayer. That informs our Christian life and the way we act with one another. Uh, and so keep things in the proper order. Keep the horse before the cart and not the other way around. Amen. Amen. Well said. The um, If you want to read the fuller uh, narrative account that Pastor Fram talks about there with regard to the placement of the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle and the tent of meeting and the thanksgiving and praise that goes along with that. That's recorded in First Chronicles 15 and 16. We're not going to go there with this program, but Pastor, if you would read the first three verses of Psalm 105, that is generally where people look when they think of Thank the Lord, post-communion canticle. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. And you can, you can see that it's almost a paraphrase of what's going on there in those first three verses of Psalm 105 with regard to this post-communion canticle, Thank the Lord. It is a faith response, his love, our response, his great love for us, especially in the gift of the Lord's Supper. And now we respond with prayers and thanksgiving and a life of faith. There's another place in Scripture that uh, brings this out, and it's one of my favorite chapters in the entire book of Isaiah, and it is Isaiah chapter 12. We have right smack dab in the midst of harsh, heavy law, condemnation, uh, judgment. We have this song of joy in Isaiah chapter 12. We sing almost this entire chapter in the Old Testament canticle in the service of prayer and preaching. But there is a um, verse here, verse 3. Uh, you want, would you want to read uh, Isaiah 12, 3, four, uh, 3 to the end of the chapter, 3 through 6? It's hard to read the words without singing the, the canticle know, that goes I with know. it. I know, I know. With joy will you draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel." God is in our midst. The Holy One of Israel is in our midst. Jesus Christ took on flesh and blood, and he made his dwelling among us. He pitched his tent. He tabernacled among us. Now, in the gift of the Lord's Supper, 
The Holy One of Israel is among us. He is really present in, with, and under bread and wine for us Christians to eat and drink for the forgiveness of sins and the strengthening of our faith. If that is not reason to give thanks and to be encouraged to live a Christian life, I don't know what more I can do for you. Is that is that fair, Pastor? Yeah, definitely, 100%. Okay. Um, I, I think we have time now, Pastor, to, uh, after we, we've talked about the Thank the Lord Canticle, as we're going through, we're near the end of Divine Service Setting 1. Following the post-communion canticle, we have the post-communion collect or the post-communion prayer. And we've talked about collects before. We've talked about the structure of collects before in earlier programs. So I don't think we need to plow that ground. But this is a specific collect or a specific prayer after we have received the Lord's Supper. Pastor Fromm says it this way. Amongst the orders of the divine service in Lutheran service book, we have three different options for a collect after the Holy Communion. The prayer that begins, we give thanks to you, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us through this salutary gift, is a prayer, a collect, from Martin Luther. It is a prayer of thanks and petition for continued help and blessing and is a good model for private prayer after communion. The second prayer deals with the continued work of the Holy Spirit to shape our faith and life in Christ and thanks God for the incarnation of his Son, Jesus, and the pardon and peace he won for us. The third, the most recent option, is a prayer with emphasis upon the end times and heaven. It is a forward-looking prayer that acknowledges our union with the saints in Christ in heaven and on earth and the fulfillment of all things on the last in the new creation. There are also post, other post-communion colics that might be fitting at certain seasons in the church here. And, you know, pastors have liturgical resources and all kinds of things that are specifically geared for a particular day or a particular season in the church. This uh, idea of a post-communion collect. When we talked about collects before, Pastor, we said that the collect of the day was a prayer that sort of brought together the themes that were going to be uh, brought out through all the readings, the songs, uh, the emphasis of the day, and in one prayer, kind of tying that together. That's the collect that's in our propers for every day of the year. How is a post-communion Collect, whichever the options, we'll talk about those when we come back from break. How is a post communion collect with that same idea and understanding of bringing things together and wrapping it with a bow? Well, it takes all the ideas and thoughts and themes and gifts of the Lord's Supper and summarizes them in a prayer that uh, then also teaches us about what's the result for us in our life from what God has done for us, that we love God and serve our neighbor in need. And, uh, and so it summarizes all those things and then gives direction for uh, our Christian life as we head out of the service. We have received Christ's body and blood. We have given him thanks and praise. And now with this attitude of reverence born from faith, we pray, we thank, we praise 
the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We need to take a break. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. When we come back, we want to take a look at the three options for a post-communion colic in Lutheran Service Book Setting 1. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Encourage you to check out the archives at KNNALP 95.7 here in Lincoln. You can listen to past episodes of At Home in Your Hymnal, as well as all the other theological and community program that we have, www.thecross957.org. We uh, love to have your feedback and the feedback that we have rece- received for our At Home in the Hymnal program has been, has been amazing and wonderful. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking time to give us your feedback and uh, thanks be to God if uh, you have learned or grown from this particular program. Pastor, we're, we're very, very near the end of our program here with regard to working our way through divine service setting one. We are at the post-communion collect. We introduced the whole notion of a post-communion collect. We heard Pastor Fram's words with regard to the three options in divine service setting one. And uh, before we look at these prayers individually, what has your practice been uh, before you came to Good Shepherd? Did you always use one? Did you go back and forth with uh, the three options? Did you use specific options for particular seasons in the church year? Uh, how have you particularly handled this in the past? Well, uh, most of the time I use the left-hand column, which is, uh, I think, the traditional one that Luther wrote. Uh, and so, and not completely from him, but a, a large portion of it. And that's the one that I normally use. Uh, lots of times, maybe during Advent, uh, then I would use the one that's in the middle, uh, where it talks about um, your only begotten Son comes into the flesh, uh, and maybe during the Christmas season as well. And then sometimes during Lent, I would use the one in the right-hand column, but uh, 90% of the time, I would use the one on the left. I think that's uh, that's been my practice, too, and I've, I've really grown in that a little bit more, thinking ahead with regard to the sermon that I'm preaching or the time of the church here, I've started to use the the one in the right-hand column, the one that talks about the marriage feast of the Lamb. I've started to use that more toward the end of the church year and the first two Sundays in Advent where we have a theological theme talking about end times and the end of the world. And we're free. You've mentioned this many times before. We are free. But I think uh, using a particular post-communion prayer that ties in with the hymns, the liturgy, the message that we have heard, I think that can be a, a, a fitting conclusion to the Lord's Supper celebration. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, that's the pastor. Maybe this is how we should say it. The pastor should always know what he's going to do. He should never be flying by the seat of the pants. He should always uh, be aware and thinking about these things before Sunday morning comes. Uh, If these things are worth doing in the freedom and reverence that we have, then we ought to do them well in that same regard and not to make that into a law, but that's just a reality. And so pastors should know what's going on and uh, even if there is uh, something that's out of the normal or a mistake that happens or a microphone that's not working and people are struggling to hear the pastor still ought to handle that in a reverent uh, dignified manner uh, to teach the congregation that what's going on is important and worth doing the right way well said well said the uh, the middle prayer has an emphasis on the incarnation of our lord jesus christ the prayer on the right-hand column has an emphasis on the last day, uh, uh, the communion of saints, and the marriage feast of the Lamb in heaven. I want to focus on the one that we use most of the time here, Pastor, that left-hand column prayer, the prayer that the bulk of which is attributed to Luther. This prayer is oftentimes referred to as a prayer that sums up the Christian life better than any prayer ever written by man. Now, that may be too high a praise, but we've got a lot of stuff going on here. And uh, I want to pray this prayer, and then I want you to comment on the two main parts of this prayer. We give thanks to you, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us through this salutary gift. And we implore you that of your mercy, you would strengthen us through the same in faith towards you and in fervent love toward one another. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. That's the post-communion colic, the left-hand column, page 166 in Lutheran Service Book. Now, I'm not talking about the first part of the prayer, Pastor, where we're, we're thanking God for refreshing us with the body and blood of Jesus. We've talked about that a lot. What I'm talking about is that you would strengthen us through the same, through this gift, in faith towards you and in fervent love toward one another. Faith toward God, fervent love toward one another. Does that, or how does that, sum up the Christian life? No, it sums up the Christian life perfectly. There's usually two dimensions that we speak of, uh, two directions that... uh, our activity goes. One is a vertical relationship, our relationship between us and God, and the other one's the horizontal one between us and the people that live around us, and this prayer addresses both of those. Uh, The human relationship with God is always in faith, where faith receives the blessings and gifts that God gives, uh, hears his word with gladness and rejoices at the things that he has done, and so we ask that that might be strengthened. And the horizontal uh, relationships are always then in service to our neighbor. How do we show Christian love to these people? Well, we help them out in times of need. We change babies' diapers. We're faithful spouses to one another uh, and the like. Uh, This is usually described in the uh, doctrine of vocation, uh, which there's many, many different ways to talk about that. And so we're asking that God would do both of these things in us so that we might be faithful Christians and show the love of Christ to those around us uh, and to also receive God's blessings with thanksgiving. We don't live and dwell inside the sanctuary. 
our life, the vast majority of our life, our vocations are lived outside of the church walls. We hear God's word, we receive God's gifts, and then we go out into the world. We do not check our faith at the church door. As we leave and as we live and move and have our being, our life is faith toward God and love and service toward our neighbor. Well said. Uh, this brings us to the end of the church service, and the end of the church service is the benediction, the ironic benediction. We heard that. Uh, I know the audio was a little bit weak, but we heard that uh, coming into this fourth segment of episode 33. I want to share some words from Dr. Arthur Just with regard to the ironic benediction. And Pastor, if you want to read those words from uh, number six when I, when I get done reading this quote, number six, 24 through 26. It was not until much later in the church's life, the 10th and 11th centuries, that a more formal ending to the service was instituted with a blessing or prayer over all the people. Framing the invocation at the beginning of the service, where the name of the triune God was placed upon us, so here, too, at its conclusion, his name is placed upon us as a blessing. He sends us with his blessing and his presence. In the benediction of the church, in the benediction, the church imitates her Lord, who, as he ascended into heaven, lifted up his hands and blessed the disciples. Luke twenty four, fifty to fifty one. The unique Lutheran contribution to the divine service is the ironic benediction. I did not realize that. I didn't realize that the ironic benediction was not standard uh, tradition in all of Christendom. That's, uh, that's really pretty cool. Uh, Pastor, do you want to share those words? Because this benediction comes straight out of the Bible. Number yep. 6, 24 to 26. I'm actually going to start at verse 22, if that's all right. Okay, that's perfect. <clears throat> the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Powerful, powerful words, and that is exactly what we are doing. We are putting God's name on the people as they go out and live their life, live their vocation in the name and for the sake of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pastor, anything else you want to say with regard to the benediction of uh, in the divine service? I think that verse that comes right afterwards is very important. You see, as, as we heard, this is the bookend. Everything that we're doing in the service between the invocation and this benediction is done in the name of the Lord. And wherever two or more are gathered in that name, uh, God promises to be among us. And that's exactly what happens in the divine service. Where God's word is, he is himself. Where God's gifts are given, he is himself. We uh, have God come to us in the waters of baptism and the preaching of the word and the distribution and reception of the Lord's Supper. God comes to us, and that's why it's so very important for us to be regularly in the divine service. Again, well said. Um, after the benediction, some churches, that's the end of the service. 
The benediction is the last word. Other churches have the tradition, like we do here at Good Shepherd, to have a closing hymn. Usually we have a very short closing hymn, one that's based on the theme of the day, the common doxology. Uh, Pastor Fram says it this way. Finally, the service also often concludes with a dismissal hymn or a recessional hymn when there is a procession. However, some places may observe the custom of no closing hymn in order to let the benediction, which is God's blessings, be the last word to the congregation. While one could also refer to the post-communion canticle, the use of a closing hymn reflects the lead of the institution of the Lord's Supper, which notes after Jesus celebrated the last Passover and first Lord's Supper, saying, And when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. Matthew 26, 30. So I think, again, we are in good stead. After Jesus had the Lord's Supper, he sang a hymn. And I think we are free to let the benediction be the last word. If we want to sing a hymn, we are free. There is much freedom with regard to the Lutheran theology and practice of worship. And in that freedom, having that reverent attitude, realizing that it is here that God distributes Good Friday and Easter to us forgiveness, life, and salvation. Pastor, you get the last word. Yeah, uh, the whole enchilada comes to us, and uh, if you have questions about any of the things we've talked about, feel free to ask your pastor. Uh, they'd be happy to uh, go into any of these topics in more detail. Uh, I'd encourage you to um, uh, realize that as we do these divine services, especially as we've laid it out for you here in these episodes, uh, we're participating in something much bigger than ourselves. the entire church uh, that also worships this way as well. And so be suspicious of those changes that maybe drift in. Ask lots of questions when those sort of things show their face. Talk to your pastor and ask why you're doing what you're doing, and those answers reveal a lot about what's going on. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of At Home in Your Hymnal. This has been episode 33, and with this episode, we bring to conclusion our study of the divine service. We leave you now with the words of the benediction.